Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and welcome back to part two with Christina Rasmussen. So last week we were talking about Palomino and this week we are discussing planting your own vineyard and the decisions that you can make. So as you're going to discover on this episode, Christina has now planted her very own vineyard in England. Yeah, it's all happening over here, guys. So we will talk about the soils, choosing massal selection over clonal selection, diseases and viruses in vines, grafting your own vines onto rootstocks and how, great varieties such as Mondus and Pinot Donis, trellising on steaks, high density planting and so much more. And Christina will be explaining all her reasons for why she has made her decisions, which I just found fascinating. And I hope you do too. So pour yourself a glass of the most interesting wine that you have around and enjoy. Shall we talk about your vineyard? So I would love to know how and why did you decide to plant a vineyard for yourself in England? Yes. So the story came about really, my sister Babette bought a dilapidated cottage in uh, near Farringdon mm-hmm. um, in Oxfordshire about, must have been about 10 years ago now. And um, she okay. restored it and she has horses so yeah so she loves her nature just as much as you do (laughs) yes and my little bit well big girl she's a a rescue as well she's with them as well oh it's on seven acres so yeah a small holding Mm -hmm. and she also farms organic flowers oh beautiful okay yeah and it was actually her idea so she came to me one day and she said christina do you think it could be fun a fun project to plant a vineyard together i've got about an acre that we kind of don't really need as in Mm -hmm. we we could use it for the horses but they have enough space Um, so there is this acre that we could do something with. And at the time I hadn't even really considered it because of course it is very marginal where she is, especially in terms of the majority of English vineyards being down on the South coast. Yeah. A little Um, bit warmer. A little bit. Yes. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) We need every degree, don't we? Yeah. And so I said, of course, in theory, I would love that, but let's have a look at the soil and everything first to make sure that it's actually feasible. Mm -hmm. And she had actually had a soil um, analysis done for the horses. Okay. Interesting. Right. Yeah. So I looked at that and that's when I got really excited um, because I realised that the soil is actually quite similar to some of the soils that we find, particularly in the, in the Côte de Bonne and in the Jura. Love it. Okay. So um, I, I already know this, but yeah, there's some limestone, isn't there, in there? Yes, we have uh-huh. limestone. It's pretty, it's only about half a metre to a metre down. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, it's varying degrees of clay. There's a little bit of loam, some gravel. So it's free draining. Perfect with our rain. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so then I got really excited um, and that's when I started to research uh, what we could plant Mm -hmm. and um, I knew at that stage that I just from speaking to winemakers and from tasting wines that I I would really love to be able to plant a massal selection. Okay why? Why massal selection rather than clonal? Mm. Yeah so for me it just really comes out of I don't know I I love history I love Mm -hmm. old things (laughs) (laughs) 
I love the way that wine can really be a portal into another time, another culture, another place. Yeah. Mm. Um, and also sort of all of the, it's almost like all of the ghosts of that time come with the wine. Mm. Um, and it's the same with plant material. So with Masal selection, of course, what you're doing is you're really preserving all of this ancient plant material and bringing it into the future. Mm-hmm. Whereas the risk with clones, of course, clones have their place and they are very important that there are great clones out there. It's not a case of clone bad, Masal good. That's not at mm-hmm. all. It's much more complex than that. But for me, it was just really the, the notion of having that sort of history book in the vineyard. Um, yeah, okay. As well as given the fact that we are in a, in a very marginal climate, the opportunity to plant with a Masal selection might just mean that we have a little bit more resistance in terms of perhaps some vines do ripen a bit earlier. Perhaps if we have frost, then they're not all going to be um, like budding and ripening at the same time well not ripening but budding at the same time so hopefully Mm -hmm. hopefully we just have a little bit more resistance also in terms of we don't know what the future will bring us maybe there'll be new diseases maybe that those vines just have more genetic resistance to combat any future issues yeah and i suppose also if you did choose clonal you'd also have to go which specific clones of this grape variety do i want as well so apart from the fact you have the story and hopefully some extra healthiness yeah. and and some strength behind it but yeah no okay I and that's a, that's a risk in itself as well with the clones because we don't know where we'll be in 50 years time yep in, in terms of what we should be planting whereas with masal you just have a little bit more insurance mm, okay yeah yeah I, that's no i really i wondered what your reasoning was for that and so actually that makes a lot of sense okay yeah. and so you decided you wanted to do massel selection but then what happened you needed to find a nursery <laughs> yeah. that was doing it right yeah so i had this idea in my head i was like that would be great but um, I, yeah, I had no idea if that would actually be possible. Okay. So I started researching online and couldn't really find anything, um, but then switched my uh, search terms to French. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know how you can use the inverted commas to look up a certain phrase? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. I was looking up um, Selection Marcel, and that's how I actually came across the nursery that I work with. His name is Lilian Berion. He's based down in the south of France, mm-hmm. and he works only with Marcel Selection. So he will go around vineyards throughout France working with winemakers and tagging various vines to check over a three-year period whether they are healthy, whether they produce interesting fruit, but not just looking at yield and that sort of thing, really just looking at diversity and Mm, health. Mm -hmm. So those are key. And then once after that three-year period has gone up, then he will take that mother material and then he tests it for virus, which is crucial. Um, virus is something that we don't speak enough about. And I've actually just finished writing a big piece on virus and ah, okay. vine material um, that I'm very excited about. But yeah, so the, the virus testing is crucial. Yeah, send me that link and I'll put it in the show notes for everyone to read about viruses. I will. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so in France, for example, the one that's causing a big problems is, is Cournoy, which is fan leaf. Mm-hmm, and um, mm-hmm. the issue with it is that it just degenerates vineyards. So vineyards start producing very little over a longer period of time. So I yeah. saw one beautiful old vine vineyard of Valdigue and Gironson Noir in, in Cahors mm-hmm. that has fan leaf. It's 70. Um, and now it's only yielding about 10 hectolitres a hectare. Oh, gosh. So yeah. obviously these are the things that we massively want to avoid. Clean mm-hmm. material is very important. So Lilian does all of the thorough checks and then actually plants the, the mother material in his own vineyard. So he has this like library of all sorts of varieties. I think it's 70 varieties that he I now works that. with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, not only that, he goes above and beyond. So he also trellises his rootstock, which is quite rare. Usually they're just let to like sprawl. Mm-hmm. So by trellising it, he gets a higher quality of wood. Okay, interesting. And then 
he grafts the material, everything is farmed organically with biodynamic methods as well. Mm -hmm. And then he grafts the material using the old school um, hand grafting method versus using the mechanized um, Omega method. Um, so what that really does is firstly, it ensures hopefully a cleaner grafting weld essentially. Okay. Yeah. So it means that like, it's kind of like if you can imagine like super gluing two pieces of paper together and making sure that that's completely flat versus yes. there's like a bubble in there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, no, no. That, yeah. That's a good analogy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so what that does, well, firstly, the fact that it's just a very clean slit um, means that sat flow um, flows easier versus with the Omega, it kind of has to go around in like a weird circle. Um, mm. plus it should hopefully, there's still a lot of research being done on this, but it should hopefully mean that there's less chance of getting fungal diseases okay. uh, through any of those gaps and through yeah. the dead wood that can be caused as well by the omega grafting. Okay. Interesting. I suppose, you know, when we go back to traditional methods, <laughs> they yeah. tend to often always be the best, but we've done They're, things yeah. that are quicker and they save us a lot of money and that's great. But actually going back to what Definitely. we used to always do. And there's a reason, yeah. And there's a reason that those methods work so well. And there's a reason that we have these beautiful old vines all around the world that, I mean, of course, some of them are unrooted. That's a whole different story. But of the ones that have been grafted, there's a reason that they have survived so well yeah. and they are okay. so strong and... And yeah. partly that might be because of the whip and tongue graft. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. No, that's really interesting. I had no, I, grafting is not something I know about. So that's interesting that he, he does it all by hand. Okay. And um, so I think that's the, the main points about yeah. Lilian. He also does hot water treatment on the vines as well. So on, on the, the babies, just to make sure that there's no sort of additional um, risk of bacteria or whatever being transported. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And so with him, I yeah got in touch and we went back and forth and he agreed to, to supply me the material. And then we, of course, began speaking about which grape varieties they should be. Um, <laughs> so this is where I, I think some English vineyard consultants probably look at me and think I'm completely bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I love diversity and I, I just love great varieties. And for me, this is really, it's a, it's a project to learn how, how things grow mm -hmm. and to learn how to, to farm different varieties and just to also observe. And okay. so the majority I chose, I chose because I'm fairly certain they will ripen and therefore I can really make wine with them. So I chose a thousand Pinot Noir and 600 yep. Chardonnay and 600 Sauvignon. Yep. And Sauvignon is the one in particular that I'm so excited about because nobody in England has it. Do they know? And I just can't understand okay. why. Yeah, it's early ripening and it's pretty like naturally resistant-ish mm -hmm. to mildew and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, the wines it gives us. I mean, I always liken it a little bit to like Palomino, but with killer acid. <laughs> no, okay, yeah, no, that's a really, really valid point. And actually, hopefully, if people have been listening to this podcast, you'll know a lot about the Sauvignon grape variety because we just did an episode on Jura. All these, everything you're mentioning, I've just done episodes on. It's so funny. Amazing. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, you should all be Sauvignon uh, professionals, Sauvignon experts. <laughs> okay, so Sauvignon, I'm, I'm intrigued to know. And it does well in kind of a wet coldish climate exactly in Jura, and yeah so. it's from mm -hmm. it's from the northeast of france mm -hmm. um even in, in colder vintages um and way back when it's always produced striking wines um so i'm yeah very very excited for it um yeah and then we have medium amounts of gamay and trousseau mm -hmm. so two of my yeah favorite reds 
wine varieties. They are, of course, a little bit later ripening, so hopefully <laughs> they'll ripen. Well, Gamay, I think you are definitely going to win with Gamay. I work for Balfour Winery, and at Balfour, we have planted a lot of Gamay, and we have some in tank, actually. Come see us Ooh. and taste a little bit in tank. It's not really. I would love to. Mm. And I think it's fantastic. I think it's a really exciting grape variety, and I think it's something that England could lead with. Uh, so yes. I am wholeheartedly behind you on your Gamay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And Trousseau I adore. So that's Mm -hmm. going to be very interesting to see what that gives as well. And then I have little bits just for fun of um, Pinot de Nice and Mondes. Well, now we have to talk about these two last varieties, don't we? Mm -hmm. Because obviously I've already said that Sauvignon, we already know because we've done the Jura podcast and the same with Trousseau. So let's talk about these two. Pinot This is a Loire Valley grape variety. And very often just makes light reds or blended as rosé and people don't talk about it so what's the excitement here with this great yeah so this great variety ah it's just it has such a special place in my heart because there is nothing else like it in the world it has uh, incredibly high proportions of rotundin which is the the compound that gives us the pepper taste okay um Mm -hmm. i believe it might be the highest in the world um, but ah, don't quote okay. me on that. But it's it's very, very, very high. <laughs> Together with um, a recently introduced variety actually called Tardif um, in the southwest, which is also hyper peppery. Okay, Tardif. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but so Pinot Donis, I mean, when we talk about pepper wine, we often talk about Syrah. Mm-hmm. If you can imagine Syrah on acid. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it, okay. That is what Pinot Donis is. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so fascinating because it has such a light body. So mm. it's not like it's a, it's not sort of, particularly tannic it does have tannins but they're very fine Mm -hmm. and it's very juicy and pretty and elegant it's just a fascinating variety okay which is interesting because mondeuse is almost the opposite it's much more intense and higher tannins isn't it yes so yeah okay is that then planted for variety to contrast with your lighter pinot noir and gamay and pinot doni yeah so i mean with the pinot doni and with the mondas the reason for planting them really is just because i love them <laughs> so it's the pepper. It's, yeah but also <laughs> it's just from like an ampelographic perspective because they okay. are varieties that mean so much to me just being able to have them is so special mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. mondas in itself is also very very peppery um and it's actually i mean it's the grandparent of syrah which i just think is the coolest thing ever <laughs> love that yes um mm-hmm. it is a little bit more rustic in its structure i would say and much more on the earthy side as well but you can also make very very elegant wines with it and yeah I love both of the varieties and I actually had a dream uh the other day about the wine that I made and it was like a sort of very 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 pale pink but it tasted like a white wine but it had this spice in it (laughs) love it okay and that's the plan is it that is the plan I would love to make everything probably not the Pinot de Nice and Mondes because so little of it but in terms of the Pinot the Sauvignon the Chardonnay the Gamay and the Trousseau I'd like to make micro vinifications of them on their own and then also to do a whole uh cross across the board blend but I mean I'm not getting ahead of myself too much yet just taking it one day but at a time it's mm-hmm. going to be quite a while well we might get a tiny bit of fruit this year but I think our first proper year will be next year or even the year okay. after okay so you might you might be able to play around a little bit this year yes to see mm. actually for everyone going what's Mondus? this is actually from the Savoie region it's from the Savoie yeah which yeah. I have not touched on so that's for, that's for another episode but yes yeah, so I'm really intrigued by the the choice of grape varieties that you've mm-hmm. picked now in terms of planting in the vineyard you obviously chose high density didn't you and you've decided to train everything on poles so mm-hmm. I'm intrigued by your decisions here as well 
Yeah, again, uh, yeah, English wine consultants think I'm crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame them, but I think a little bit of crazy is good. Uh, We have Uh to experiment and also be open to the idea of making mistakes. I'm sure I'm going to make mistakes, um, many of them on this journey. I already have. That's just part of it. Um, And that's how I believe that, yeah, we can get further in our comprehension and understanding of the grapevine. Mm. Um, The reason for choosing the stakes, really, uh, the primary reason I went to visit um, in that August uh, 2020, I went to see um, Jean Gonon in the Northern Rhone. Okay. Um, of Domaine Pierre Gonon. And he grows all of his vines on stakes and their vines arch onto their immediate neighbor, but only once. So if you can imagine, it's just one arch and then uh-huh. a separate pole, its neighbor, one arch, um, et cetera, and so forth. Okay. And visiting him in peak drought season, it was so dry and the vineyards on either side were suffering immensely. I mean, they were just not looking very well. Of course, a lot of this also has to do with soil management. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, really, I think one of the reasons his are so healthy is that he trains them in this method. And we were talking about it. And of course, this is much more philosophical, but we were saying how the vine is a liana. It likes to climb. That's its natural state. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we, we, as far as we can, if we can actually just let it climb, then in theory, it might just be a little bit happier. Okay, yeah. And um, so he lets his climb up these poles and then, yeah, arches them onto their neighbour and that then helps them to find sort of a little bit more of this intrinsic sort of climbing balance, I guess you could say. All right. So that's what you're planning on doing as they grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, there are also winemakers who are returning to that method in Burgundy. So I went to see um, Jean-Yves Bizot and I've also spoken to Charles Lachaud about this. Um, And part of their reasons for also doing this is you're able to obviously train higher so you can bring the the vine off like you can help to bring the fruiting zone further up Mm. which should help to mitigate a bit of frost risk as well okay well that's probably good in this in this climate (laughs) yeah exactly um so that's another option too um and the other the other reason especially um with bezo is also that he doesn't really resonate with the the idea of hedging so much so like cutting vines along along wires like when you go through and you you trim Mm-hmm. because every time you do that you kind of send like a shock message to the vine mm. and then it focuses again on, on growing and mm-hmm. sort of regrowing whereas ultimately what you really want to do is try and help the vine to find its own balance and then to send that yeah put that focus more on its fruit and just not being so I guess being a little bit more gentle with the vine yeah okay and so that's my goal as well I mean I have no idea it's really it's one of these things where I have all of these idea in my ideas in my head <laughs> But until they're in practice, I can't tell you how they're going to (laughs) go. But it's really interesting to listen to your reasoning. And I think that's for everybody who's listening. The chances are the majority are not going to go out and plant a vineyard, but just to understand decisions that can be made in vineyards. So why why high density? So high density, really just looking at the Burgundy model as well, because in terms of soil, also in terms of climate, um, that is really, we're very similar. Um, Burgundy, of course, is perhaps getting a bit too hot for high density, TBC, um, in terms of water. (laughs) But with water, where we are, we um, saying that last year we did have drought, but generally speaking, we do have a lot of rainfall. So by planting high density, I'm hoping that the vines, um, I can sort of control, or not control, but 
produce an environment for them to have lower vigor naturally. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that was also something that I chose with regards to the rootstocks. So they're grafted onto 420A and 3309, both of which are low vigor rootstocks. Uh, okay. Whereas the majority of UK vineyards are grafted onto Fercal, yes, which is high are. vigor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The mm-hmm. issue with Fercal, of course, being that Fercal can withstand a high amount of limestone. So that's obviously also why. Mm -hmm. But so can 420A. Um, 3309, a little bit less so, but we don't actually have, we don't need to worry as much about our limestone as we would have to with something like chalk, for example. Yeah, okay. So, um, Oh, let me just got geeky about rootstocks. Everyone's like, what the (laughs) hell? Yeah, my God, there are literally catalogues and catalogues of different rootstocks that have been crossed from different species or just Vitas vinifera crossings I mean it's amazing I just remember looking in a brochure one time and thinking like (laughs) going through that am I right in thinking that you are going to try and make these wines as naturally as possible I'm assuming of course minimal intervention right yeah, I mean, I want to ferment everything naturally and yeah, just see how it goes. I, I really, I have no idea. I think it's going to take until I, I actually have the fruit in front of me to mm. make any decisions. I would love to work with whole clusters. I, I just love whole cluster red wines, but I just, yeah, until I see what the fruit is like, the grapes. then <laughs> no clue. <laughs> so I presume as well that, again, this whole farming biodynamically is also a focus for you because I know you said that you've you've used some horsetail ferment for the soil yeah. yeah so I'm farming everything organically okay yeah. um I wouldn't say that I'm farming biodynamically I don't okay. um I'm not following all of those principles mm. I at this stage I'm just really sort of trying to get to grips with how the vineyard is performing yeah and just getting to know the vineyard and understanding the soils better um I've been speaking to a couple of like viticulturist friends as well just to get their advice and thoughts and moving forwards I think just really for me, what the key element is, is just seeing how everything interacts with the various aspects that you find in the vineyard. Mm. Um, What I need to do where different sections of the vineyard already behave differently to other sections. With the horsetail, that was really because I just wanted to to firstly try making it. Okay. Um, So yeah, I went (laughs) and harvested horsetail and made a horsetail tea from it. And also because horsetail is very high in silica. Um, which can be used uh, to some degree as a natural sort of mechanism against mildew. Okay, all right. Um, So, and also it's just very nourishing. Um, So I just, yeah, went around and sprayed a little bit of mildew. I don't know if it did anything, but the vines seemed to like it. (laughs) Okay, so you might do it again then. Yeah. Yeah. Have you thought about making any other teas or preparations Yeah, I think about it a lot. And um, I mean, again, people think that I'm crazy for not already having sprayed with copper and sulfur and so on. But I just, at this stage, I really just want to see if we do get mildew and if we do where it is, if there Mm. are certain areas that get it more. So for the time being, I'm actually just sort of letting everything be in its natural state so that I can really understand from ground up what the vineyard is like. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and what what the what our threats are, yeah. um, and then from there on, I'll definitely. I mean, we've got like a beautiful big compost pile um, from the horses, so I'm definitely going to try and. <laughs> you not, find that. Yeah, I'm definitely yeah. going to try and, and put various things in that compost, and then maybe do some studies down the line and see okay. if I can figure out like you know how different sections respond differently to different types of compost. Oh, um, wow. the, the, yeah, the possibilities are endless. Wow. <laughs> what do you what do you think has been the biggest challenge? of the vineyard so far? Firstly, planting. It was 
back raking. Anyone who's planted a vineyard will know, especially in clay. <laughs> well, you're so low to the ground, right? How long? So, it's, yeah. yeah how, okay. Actually, this is a really valid point because I have not planted a vineyard to get that in the ground. Your one root, mm-hmm. one vine. Uh, how long does that take you? What do you what are you actually doing to make sure it's secure in the ground? So the French actually have these devices called plantoir, mm-hmm. and they look the the easiest way I can describe it is they look like a pole with a sharp end. Okay, yeah, yeah. but we actually don't have those in England. No, at least not ones that are long enough for grapevines. Oh, okay. And I didn't have the chance to go to France and buy some and bring them back. So what we just did in the end was, which we actually would have had to do anyway, we drilled holes. Okay, fair because mm-hmm. there are some big rocks in the vineyard well so it was mm-hmm. a just much faster and b we would have to break up a few of those rocks to yep. to enable us to get the space and then once you have your vines from the nursery you soak them in water first mm-hmm. and then you actually even though it seems um contradictory you trim their roots okay um because of course if you can imagine when you're putting a vine down into the ground if you if the roots bunch upwards which they would do then the vine will start, the the roots will start growing the wrong way. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So by trimming them, you just ensure that everything will start growing down. Okay. Um, And then you just crumble all of the soil down around the the baby vine and just critically make sure that there are no air pockets around the roots. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can either do that if you're just making sure that the the soil's crumbled properly. With us, it was very wet at the time as well, so we didn't need to water, but you can also water them to make sure all of the soil settles properly. And how long does it take you to just put the vine in the ground, crumble up the soil and ensure that it's secure? Is it kind of just a a minute just to do that and then you move on and crouch down over the next one or does it take a bit longer? Yeah, it takes quite a long time. So I can't do the math. (laughs) So there were probably about five, six of us Mm. over three days and we planted 3,100 vines. So whatever the maths is, but it was honestly like it is, it is so backbreaking, especially mm. I think for us, it was even harder that weekend because it was so wet. Mm. So we were like, we were literally like wading through mud. <laughs> <sighs> Swimming through mud, yeah. <laughs> but obviously all worth it. And touch wood, they all took off very well. We've had almost no losses. Um, okay. The only two major losses have been two mondas, which a badger dug up. I was oh, like, no, why? No. Why, badger? Why couldn't you have taken two of like the pinot where we've got a thousand <laughs> vines? Why 20, That's what, two so of the 20 annoying. mondas? <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Is badgers probably, is there any other animals that are, any rabbits coming to say hello? Any other? Yeah, mm-hmm. so... I tried to grow them the first year without vine guards um, and very quickly realised that actually uh-uh. I needed to, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've got rabbits. We've also got hares. We've yeah. got various deer. Um, there's a lot of animals around. <laughs> Which you love, but just if they can stay away from the vineyard. Please don't eat my vines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so presumably that's one of your big lessons. You definitely need yeah. vine guards. Anything else, that you, anything else you've learned from planting a vineyard in a marginal cool climate area? Um, gosh, yeah. So, I mean, the key thing at the moment is really just grass control. Mm-hmm. Um, grass, grass control. Yeah. Mm-hmm, so okay. making sure that each vine has a very large space around it where there's not too many grasses or any okay. grasses, hopefully, okay. um, just because they need to have the resources to grow their roots deep. Mm. And I mean, of course, I'm doing that organically. So it's really time consuming. I'm up a lot at the moment with I've got a little electric rototiller that works really well. Okay. But often okay. it has to be done by hand if yeah. it's sort of very deep rooted grass. Um, 
there's no way I'm using herbicides. Um, but of course, when you're doing this, you can understand why people do. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> they but... actually enjoy sleep, you know, and having some time <laughs> free in their life. <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah, no, so that's my main my main challenge and that will continue to be the main challenge over the next couple of years, just to make sure that they really establish themselves well. Okay. Um, yeah. I was recently with Yvon Metra in Beaujolais mm-hmm. and he said to me, you know, all of the old timers always said to him, those first three years are critical and they will determine the life of the vine. It's like a baby. <clears throat> it really is. Yeah. Um, so they, they do have to be very cared for and um, you just have to make sure that they yeah, they each have their space and that they can plunge their roots deep. Love it. What are you most excited about of everything? Let's imagine everything works out perfectly. (laughs) Yeah, I think just seeing how the different varieties grow and also just, yeah, once we can really start to arch, that's just something I'm so excited about. I Mm. managed to do my first arch last year already. There were two Sauvignon vines that grew very quickly. Oh, perfect. Okay, so you kind of have an idea of how it's going to visually look when all the vines are arching okay and just better understanding vine health and better understanding soil health and yeah experimenting and and just learning it's just Mm. a a brilliant learning journey to be on and so to finish off who has been maybe one of the most inspirational people for you to help you with planting your vines or giving advice has there been anyone who's helped you that's become quite special yeah Mm. I mean there are there are so many and I'm I'm fortunate that to have close winemaker friends who um, I can rely on and, and go to for yeah various questions. Um, in 2020, I did harvest uh, briefly for two weeks with Domaine Dujac in Maurice Saint Denis. Oh, lovely. Mm. Um, and Jeremy and Diana are yeah they're close friends and and just amazing mentors and just I I yeah I have immense admiration for them and they're very kind and forthcoming with their help and information and yeah I've definitely bounced back and forth a few times with them Mm. um of course being growing uh, Pinot Noir and growing Chardonnay and of course I'm turning to a lot of of Burgundian growers and yeah, Tomoko Kuriyama of Chantreve. She has incredible knowledge when it comes to regenerative viticulture. Um, mm-hmm. And Katerina Sade of Les Ores, she has amazing knowledge when it comes to biodynamics. And so those two, yeah, I, I definitely will be speaking to more and more as mm. the vines continue to grow. Right. Um, yeah, in terms of further afield, I often speak with with Raj and Abe and, and yeah. Ibn as well, and they just have such immense knowledge. And if I ever have like an urgent problem, I, I can always ask them for advice. And yeah. And I actually would just say, you've mentioned Raj, uh, Raj Parr a few times, I think in the, the podcast before as well. Everyone, if you haven't tried the Sandy wines, I mean, they've just become like the benchmark wines for Santa Barbara, really, haven't they? You know, he... Yeah, <laughs> and he has um, he has this new project as well called Feelin' Farm. Oh, okay. Um, so Raj is now really a farmer. Um, he's dedicated wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly to it. Um, he's based there every day. Um, and he's actually growing very similar varieties to me, mm-hmm. um, plus more. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that we're going to be on the phone talking about various ways to combat mildew and so on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but those feeling wines, I think he's really come into his own and they are his heart and soul. And Beautiful. he is just one of the warmest, most, most, incredible people on the planet and you see that in his wines too they just reflect him and of course their place lovely thank you so much christina i i have to go because i need to go and plant a vineyard now (laughs) (laughs) i love it uh, i'm I'm entirely no actually i'm not it sounds like backbreaking work i think i'm just going to continue what i'm doing which is drinking the wines and learning the stories behind them but thank you so much for actually making this 
so much more visual for everybody listening so they can actually understand really what it takes to to plant a vineyard of course and thank you so much for having me and i can't wait to listen to yeah all of your other podcasts oh, too. That's well yes exactly jura and tenerifus too that you'll definitely yeah, definitely enjoy very much looking forward to it Oh, well, good luck with this vineyard. I cannot wait to see what happens with the with the Mondus, with the 18 vines of Mondus. Yes. <laughs> and we'll speak soon. So take care of yourself. Thank you so much. Thank see you. See you later. Bye. Bye. Honestly, I always find it simply fascinating, all the decisions that can go into one small vineyard. Hopefully, there were a few things that came up that you didn't know about or have never considered, and it might even make your next vineyard walk more interesting. You can challenge the tour guide with some fun questions. So next week, I am talking with the delightful Helena Nicklin. She is an award-winning writer and presenter. You may have seen her on the TV series, The Three Drinkers, which is on Amazon Prime, or maybe Talk TV, where she has a weekly guest slot. So next week, we're going to be talking about cognac. It's time to talk distilled grapes. But to finish off today's episode, I think we can all agree that wine truly does express its source, where it's grown, its year, the choices made in the vineyard. And so to conclude with a simple but beautiful quote from Galileo, he said, wine is sunlight held together by water. May you taste that sunshine in your wine glass this week. And thank you for listening. And I hope this episode has been an interesting one for you. If you are enjoying these podcasts, make sure you talk about it and share with your wine-loving friends. Take a screenshot and post that on your socials. And if you have two extra minutes, the best thing you can possibly do to show your support is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify. This is going to help the podcast become more discoverable. Wishing you all a very successful week and a very happy one. And until next Monday, cheers to you. <laughs>